Dear Christian friends, it shouldn't have happened the way that it did. If you are going to fully appreciate what we celebrate today, you have to, at least for a few moments, revisit the events of last week. And as you do that, you can only come to the conclusion that it shouldn't have happened. Not only, of course, was Jesus innocent, if there was ever in the history of the world uh, one individual that didn't deserve to be not only on trial, but, but to be sentenced to crucifixion, it was the innocent Son of God, Jesus. But even more than that, Jesus had a support system around him. He had disciples that, that cared for him and looked out for him. And surely you'd expect that, that somebody amongst that crowd would have stepped in. And yet, you see the opposite. It's, it's in fact one of those individuals that betrayed Jesus with a kiss and really set all of this in motion. Ah, but, but that was Judas. There was still bold, confident Peter who certainly could have, should have, come to the rescue, put together a, a group of, of individuals like-minded as they were to come to Jesus' rescue. Ah, but that, that Peter we see end up denying even knowing Jesus. Okay, so his disciples had let him down, but it still shouldn't have happened that way because when he was before the religious leaders, the council on trial, if you can really call it that, who better than that group of individuals was supposed to serve as the moral compass of society at that time? Surely somebody from that group should have stepped up and said, wait a minute. This is an outrage. This man has done absolutely nothing wrong. How can we justify continuing to press him and accuse him? But nothing. And then in the last-ditch effort as to why this shouldn't have happened the way that it did, the one man who had the power and the authority to put a stop to it, Pilate himself, caved. Weak-willed as he was, catered to the, the crowds that were crying to crucify Jesus and allowed for him to be sentenced to death by crucifixion. It should not have happened the way that it did. Probably safe to say that just about everybody here this morning also has something on your plate right now or recently that you either have or are dealing with that shouldn't have happened the way that it did. Or something that, that should have happened and, and didn't. I don't need to point out the examples because I'm guessing they're swirling around in your mind right now, whatever it is that you are dealing with. And some of those things that shouldn't have happened happened to you and have nothing to do with, with you whatsoever other than you were on the receiving end. In other words, it wasn't your, your fault. Some of you have experienced significant tragedy and trauma through no doing of your own whatsoever. There are just some things in a fallen, broken world that we are on the receiving end. Maybe a natural disaster or a negligent driver. But because we do live in a fallen, broken world, we also know there is deliberate evil and wickedness. And so there are malicious criminals, and, and maybe you have been on the, the end of one of those crimes as well. 
Maybe that's the thing that's on your plate dealing with that, that shouldn't have happened the way that it did. There are also, though, events that, that happened that you'd say the same thing they shouldn't have, but here's the difference. You may have played a role. Maybe reluctant to admit it or acknowledge it or even see the role that you played, but as much as you're looking back saying this shouldn't have happened or this should have happened, you come to that realization that at least in part you had something to do with it. That one person that that you expected, you anticipated, would be the one with whom you would spend the rest of your life with is now your worst enemy. And it's easy for us, we we even kid ourselves into thinking that it's all my spouse's fault for getting where we're at. But a little further reflection leads you to realize you can't deny that you played a role as well. It usually takes two, doesn't it? And that thing that shouldn't have happened to you at work because of all the politicking going on, and you were just the victim on the receiving end, well, you might convince yourself of that, but if you were to speak to your coworkers, they may be a little quicker to say, you know, you got tangled up in some of that politics as well, and that might have something to do with with where you're at. As a parent, you, you see the path that your children or child is on and, and it looks to be the mess that you did not anticipate in any way whatsoever. You say, what went wrong? And as you reflect on that, you look back and you have to acknowledge that their childhood was littered with your absence. And one after another, all kinds of lost laters that never happened because of your misplaced priorities. So there are some things that, that shouldn't have happened but did that are a consequence of your actions and, and choices that you've made. Now, regardless of what it is that's on your plate as you're thinking about that thing right now, what I want you to do is, is walk with me and spend some time at the tomb. Speaking of which, there's another event that shouldn't have happened. Not the resurrection, not that part, but all of the events that are recorded for us in both John's Gospel, not both, but John's Gospel and the other Gospel accounts that record for us the details of Jesus' resurrection on that first Easter Sunday. None of them should have happened. There should not have been any women going to the tomb. There should not have been disciples running to and from trying to make sense of all the chaos or confusion. None of that should have happened because God had made it abundantly clear that Jesus wasn't going to stay dead. He had prophesied it through his his prophets in the Old Testament. We'll sing later on a, a hymn that's based on the words of Job who expressed that confidence, I know that my Redeemer lives. In other words, he's not going to stay dead in that tomb. And Jesus himself told the disciples several times, sometimes very directly, very bluntly and clearly, other times indirectly, that he was going to rise from the dead. So none of that should have happened. So Mary, like the other disciples, should have known better, but nonetheless she showed up at the tomb and she was looking for her Jesus. 
She just wanted to carry out to the best of her ability the way that, that she knew how to, to honor her Savior. And she got there and she was distraught because he was nowhere to be found. And then he appeared to her. As John tells us, first thinking that he was the gardener in some divine way, God clouded her perception of knowing who Jesus truly was initially. But Jesus approaches Mary. And why does Jesus appear to her? Not to yell at her, not to shame her, not to scold her, not to say, Mary, what on earth are you doing here at the tomb unless just to confirm what you already knew because I told you so clearly? How can you and all the disciples be so dull? How can you be so stupid to forget something as big as, I told you I was going to rise from the dead? But that's not the Jesus that appears to Mary. Oh, it's gentle Jesus speaking to her tenderly. Amazing when you think and consider of all of the, the places and, and people to whom Jesus could have appeared, and he did to many more on that day and, and the weeks that followed, but of all the people on the planet, on that first day that he rose from the dead, he appears to Mary. Your Savior is a personal, intimate, caring, tender Savior. And he came to Mary not to shock or shame her, but to comfort her. And that is exactly what he did. You notice how she finally became aware of who it was. Jesus spoke one word, called her by name. Jesus said to her, Mary. And at that moment, God's divine hand opened up her eyes to see exactly who had spoken her name, to know that it was her Jesus. And now suddenly, just like that, everything that, that had caused her turmoil and, and discouraged her and uncertainty was, was just gone, washed away, and all she saw was her Jesus right in front of her. And all was well again. The hope that Jesus came to show Mary is the hope of the resurrection that he holds out to all people. Not just to Mary and those initial disciples on Easter Sunday, but to all who believe that Jesus is raised from the dead. Now, if you are familiar with Scripture, you are, are probably well aware of, of the many spiritual blessings that, that God holds out to us in Scripture. But do you know how many of them are attached very specifically to this assurance that all who believe that Jesus has been raised from the dead will receive, for example, righteousness. All who believe that Jesus has been raised from the dead will receive new life. In other words, whatever was in your past, new life in the resurrected Christ. All who believe that Jesus has been raised from the dead, he holds out the promise that you are able to bear fruit that is pleasing to him. He holds out the assurance, if you believe that he has been raised from the dead, that you will be saved. He promises you even this, that if you believe he has been raised from the dead, he will raise you from the dead as well. 
Jesus came to to Mary and to the disciples on that Easter, and he comes to you and me to give us the confidence that he has left death in its dust, in his dust, and he has destroyed it forever. Do you understand now why, why Mary was so elated to have seen her risen Jesus? She didn't have all of the New Testament promises that we have for us in in Scripture, but she had faith that clung to them nonetheless. She knew exactly what Jesus meant to her, and the fact that he was no longer dead meant that her death, too, was also going to be a temporal, short-term thing. We have a tendency, don't we, to revisit all of the should-haves and shouldn't-haves from our past. In fact, it's, it's oftentimes those, those past regrets that can come into our, our present and bring about a regression. You know what they are. And, and as much as Scripture warns us about how relentless Satan is, in tempting us and trying to to yank us out of our Savior's arms, one thing Satan is not is innovative or creative because he doesn't have to be. He's a master at simply coming into your ear and whispering, do you remember that thing that you did that you shouldn't have? How different might things be now if you would have never done that? Or have you forgotten when you failed to do the thing that that you should have? How different would your life be? What different trajectory would it be on now if if you had never done that? And suddenly these things that, that for some of us may have been things that we haven't even given a second thought to for years, maybe even decades, come washing over us and not by themselves, but accompanied by the guilt and the shame of those past shoulds and shouldn't have. When you experience that, when you are going through that, when Satan is whispering in your ear and trying to to take your past regrets and, and bring them into the present to assail you, take note of something. On this Easter Sunday, did you notice where the women and the disciples did not go? They did not go to the cross. Well, you say, duh. Jesus was already crucified. We already observed that on Friday. Of course they're not going to go to the cross. Exactly. Jesus was no longer on the cross. Which is to say Jesus had already paid for their sins. Which is to say that all of your past shouldn't-haves and should-haves have been paid for. And if you doubt it, listen to the words the Savior spoke to finalize that payment when he said, it is finished from the cross. And then have complete confidence that as much as Satan wants to drag you through a past of shouldn't-haves or should-haves, it has been paid for. All of it. It's in the past. Leave it there. And it gets better because not only did the disciples and the women not go to the the cross to see Jesus still suspended, still somehow suffering for their sins, but when they went to the tomb, he wasn't there either. And do you realize what an empty tomb means? An empty tomb means that payment had been accepted in full. 
There was nothing else that God the Father was expecting from the Son to carry out to ensure us of our salvation. All had been completed. All had been finished. Every should have and shouldn't have has been paid for in full and God accepted Jesus' payment on your behalf. The tomb that was empty is the guarantee. Now you see why why Mary was so excited, so elated to see her Savior. Though she only had a limited understanding of the significance at that point, her faith would grow and she would come to appreciate the fullness of Jesus' resurrection as we have the benefit of knowing today, of being completely confident that the same assurance that Jesus gave to Mary and to the disciples that day of his resurrection and for the days and weeks that would follow is the promise that he longs to give to us as well. And then what did he do to, to Mary? He, he sent Mary to go spread the news, to tell others payment had been made, shoulds and should nots have been forgiven and forgotten by God. Do not cling to them anymore. Do not let them trouble you no, no matter how hard Satan wants to throw them in your face. Revisit the cross and the empty tomb and know that your conquering king lives again and has paid for those sins. And then let us follow in Mary's footsteps. Let us, as she did, go and, and tell others the best news that there is. Nobody needs to be bogged down by guilt and shame who knows and believes in a raised-from-the-dead Savior. No, we can look back and, and we can say the events of, of that Holy Week, Good Friday and even Easter Sunday, uh, because of the misguided disciples at the time. Those things shouldn't have happened. But be glad that they did. Because of all of those things that shouldn't have happened, because they did, your eternity is secure in Christ. 